James? Stephen, how's it going? Uh, we always start that way. It's what they call a conversational... What's another conversational way to start? Yo, what's up? Nothing. <laughs> That's good. Uh, here's another one. Um, hey! What? That? My, mother, my mother would never let us say hey when we were kids. Did your parents forbid hey? No. Yeah, they said it was, uh, you know, whatever. Day class A. Not that we were class A. They didn't like, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really worked. I do have a question for you. Can I read it to you? Sure. This was written in to our Question of the Day Twitter account. It's at QOD, for those of you who want to send a question, by Sitesh Srivastava. And Sitesh writes, I'm really eager to ask you this question because I think you're going to have a, a lot of insight into this, James. Is it a good idea to be a specialist or a generalist? How can one decide? What are the pros and cons? Well, I think it's a good idea to be a generalist, but it's not. It's even in, even if you love one category. Like let's say you love mathematics. Okay, it's a good idea to be a generalist within the area you love. So that might mean the math of physics, the math of economics, the math of statistics, and so on. Because it's usually the overlap of disciplines where you find the the next generation of innovation and ideas. So, for instance, the cross between biology and chemistry is resulting in all these innovations in, you know, genetics and DNA printing and biochemistry and personalized vaccines for cancer and and so on. So it's it's always kind of the 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 intersection of disciplines that that one should focus on which implies being a generalist. You might be a specific generalist, but generalism in, in general is good. Now, let me ask you this, how do you view yourself as the creative slash business person that you are? Well, I, I consider writing a craft and a skill that I try to get better and better at, um, but I often write about things that I'm interested in. For instance, I might write about business or I might write about people who inspire me, but because I consider myself somewhat of a generalist, uh, many people inspire me, and then I'm able to relate it to a story that's happened to my in my life, and then I write about it in a way that other people can relate to. And so I think being a generalist helps me even though I have very specific interests. Such as? Well, business, uh, writing, comedy, chess, performance, chess. Uh, podcasting. Podcasting is a, a huge uh, interest Fashion. of mine. Fashion, not as much. You're dressed very fashionably today. You I'm look very, like you've just come off a, a small yacht. I'm very summery. You know, maybe I'm trying to... Is that seersucker? <laughs> no, but it kind of looks that way. I think it's cotton. I feel that. I think that is borderline seersucker. I'm a sucker then. <laughs> so um, it's funny because when I read uh, Satesh's question about choosing between the two, my first thought was just, you know, the the various, you know, I guess you might call them mental models or cliches that exist on both but that conflict. So like there's the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none idea, right? Which is if you pursue too many things as a generalist that you'll never get good at any. But then... There's also the notion of the Renaissance man, like the the fact that it's considered really admirable to perfect or excel at a, at a bunch of different things. So I, I think the question that um, Satesh has is one that a lot of people think about all the time, but it's hard to know how to attack it, right? Um, because, like, for instance, I think that in – I'm a big fan of specialization from an economic perspective at least, right? Because – 
that's part of our economic model that works really well, the division of labor, right? So in the old days, if I lived in a hut 1,200 years ago somewhere, I had to do most things for myself, and I probably wasn't very good at doing any of them. But then as we got more specialized, like today, if I'm building a house, it's always going to be cheaper and more efficient and better to hire 10 people, each of whom are really good at doing one thing. You know, one guy is a framer, and one guy does wiring, and one guy does plumbing, and one guy does finished carpentry, blah, 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 than to hire 10 people who are all okay at everything. So so you're saying you want to be a generalist who's a hire, a hirer <laughs> of specialists. But if you look at, like, the modern mm-hmm. economy, yeah. um, the, the, the average millionaire has multiple sources of income. They're usually not, you don't usually don't make a million dollars from like one job. And so it pays to, even if you're again, an expert in one area, it pays to be a generalist within that area so that you're able to kind of identify more than one stream of income in that area. But let's say that your goal, I mean, you you immediately went to like wanting to make a million dollars, which I'm sure is the goal of a lot of people. But I think for a lot of people, that's not the goal. I think for a lot of people, the goal is to, have a life and a career and a family and a kind of sort of balance that allows them to make the money they need to do the things they want to do. So if that's the case, if we're not talking about income, you know, money harvesting as the goal, do you look at the question differently? No, because I think you just answered it. Like, yeah, okay, I'll be a generalist. I want to be good with my family. I want to be good at golf. I want to be good at my job. I want to be good at... Uh, you know, the several things I'm interested in. It's it's hard. Not many people have like one interest and passion through life. Uh, and I'll, a great example of someone who's a huge specialist but managed to find multiple outlets within that specialty to be happy is some as a guy like Tony Hawk. All he did since he was 11 years old was ride a skateboard. Um, but then he managed to turn that into um, sponsorships. He became a businessman. He spawned off several businesses out of fashion lines around, you know, skateboarding culture. He he mastered video games so that uh, he could create all these, uh, he sold a billion dollars worth of video games. All related to skating, though? All related to skating. And uh, so he was a specialist in one area, but he was a generalist enough, and he appreciated generalism enough to, you know, obviously his friendships revolve around that, or many of his friendships revolve around extreme sports. Uh, but... But still, he became a, a, a somewhat well-rounded person uh, by generalizing in, instead of just dawn to night skateboarding all day long. Mm. Okay, we do have to pause for a minute to hear from our sponsor. Won't take long. Question of the day. We'll be right back. Stephen, guess what? Today, all states sponsoring another question of the day. They must actually like our answers. James, you and I usually were up for a good debate, but there's no room to argue with this opportunity from Allstate. And I know, Stephen, because we tried to argue about this one, but there's just so many benefits to opening your own Allstate agency. Instead of finding a problem, we came to this conclusion. Why wouldn't you do this? Because with Allstate, you're going to own your own business, a business where you get big rewards for growth, unlimited earning potential, and a lot of equity for the future. And when you're the boss, you create the office culture and vision for the workplace with the power of the Allstate brand behind you. Working with the Good Hands Company is about helping people live the good life. Sounds like a pretty good deal, James. So if you haven't thought about opening your own Allstate agency, you should. Head over to allstateagent.com slash question of the day after the show to see stories from successful agents. And of course, this is subject to the terms of the agency agreement. Let me quote from you briefly from a Harvard Business Review essay by Vikram Mancharamani. This was written a few years ago. Is he Jewish? Uh, I'm going to say probably he's not. His essay was called All Hail the Generalist. 
I've been reading a lot of essays lately called All Hail the Blank or In Praise of Blank. It's funny. I think it's a function of age, like an experience. Like as a journalist, like I love to find out things. That's what it's about. And especially like fairly micro things, like how does this situation work? How does this piece of the economy work? Or how does this cultural thing work? But lately, and I think this is because, you know, as a parent, my kids are older. As an adult, I'm older than I used to be. Now I'm kind of seeking out more philosophically uniting arguments about like this idea is a good thing. And there are a couple that I'm starting to work on Freakonomics Radio episodes for. One is about in praise, this is just what I'm calling it, in praise of maintenance, maintenance versus, you know, innovation. Another one is in praise of incrementalism versus the magic bullet. And another one, so this is very similar to the stuff I've been reading called All Hail the Generalist that Vikram Mansharamani makes. And this argument goes back at least... 2,700 years ago. So let me let me quote, um, as he writes, the Greek poet Archilochus, I believe, Archilochus, wrote that, quote, the fox knows many things, right? You know the fox and the hedgehog? The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Isaiah Berlin's 1953 essay, The Fox and the Hedgehog, contrasts hedgehogs that, quote, relate everything to a single central vision with foxes who, quote, pursue many ends connected, if at all, only in some de facto way. It's really a story of specialists versus generalists, which I think is— I don't get it. Well, I don't actually quite agree with how he interprets the fox and the hedgehog. What is the hedgehog specialty? Well, the hedgehog knows one big thing, right? So this is used more in these kind of philosophical arguments about— a hedgehog type of thinking is kind of what we think of as like the CEO type of thinking. Like, I'm in charge here, I have leverage, I have experience, I have intelligence, and I can marshal all that into one grand unified plan. Whereas a fox is a more, what we typically think of as a more kind of nimble micro thinker who, rather than having one plan that I've conceived and is therefore great because I conceived it, I'm open to whatever changes or new information comes across my screen and I can nimbly adapt to it. So that seems more like a CEO. Well, I think that might seem what you'd want a CEO to be, but not often what CEOs are. So anyway, okay. this whole fox-hedgehog analogy has been played with by many people in in many fields, you know, philosophy. Philip Tetlock, this political scientist that I like a lot who's written about prediction, uses the fox-hedgehog model to show the two kinds of thinkers, one of whom is really bad at predicting and one of whom is good. It's the hedgehog who's bad, he said, because the hedgehog operates kind of out of dogma. Like, I believe this is the way the world works, has worked, and should work, whereas the fox is like, well, let me get some data. And if the data contradict the way I've been thinking about solving this problem, I'm going to go to that instead. So I think that's a good framework for thinking for someone like Satesh or for you and me about generalist versus specialist. But I think it's very hard because um, there's obviously a lot of overlap, right? How do you do? You decide I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, you know, devote a whole lot more time to this one thing. To me, you're gonna hate me for saying this. One model that I find is helpful for anybody to think about is golf, and the reason is, again, if you don't know or if you don't know golf or you hate golf, and I'm okay with that you wouldn't really think of it as a multifaceted game. But in fact, there are a lot, you have to do one golfer playing 
one round of golf, you have to do a lot of different kinds of things, a lot of different shots. Well, you have to, yeah, you have it, just like any sport, you have to be yeah. good at like whether it's golf or even chess. You have to go to the opening, middle game, and the end game. If you're good at just one, you're not going to get good. Interesting. If, at ping pong, you have to be good at spinning and slamming, and I don't know. Tennis, you have to be good at the net, you have to be good at serving, you have to be good, you know, back in the court. In anything you want to get good at, you kind of have to identify the 10 areas you're going to need to be an expert at, and they're all very different. I'd love to hear you tell me more about chess, because I know nothing about chess. I know how to play chess, and that's it. But they're all kind of similar. Well, let me ask you this. Are there... So what I was going to say with golf is, for instance, let's break it down into just like a few things. There's driving the ball, which is your first shot, which typically you want to hit it really long and straight, which some people are very good at. Then there's an iron shot, which is hitting it from the middle, you know, from the fairway, close to the flag, onto the green. And then there's chipping, which is delicate shots around the green. Then there's putting, which is putting it in the hole. And then there are things like the mental game. Now, there are people who excel, who are like great, great, great at like one of those, let's say, five uh, parts of the game. But very few people who are consistently good and who consistently win uh, aren't at least very, very good at all of them. So there are people who are great drivers who rarely win. There are, if you look at the putting stats, sometimes the putting stats will look, the best putters look like the people who've been winning a lot, but very often there are people who are great at putting, but it takes them a while to get to the hole to putt. So really, golf is probably like most things. It requires a good deal of specialization, but you have to have a generalist ability or approach. So I'm curious, in chess, are there people who are great at like, whatever, the first third of the game, but aren't good closers or whatever you'd call it, and so on? Absolutely. I think the same metaphor is inclusive of almost any sport or activity. In fact, you can make a metaphor to every aspect of golf that you just said to relationship building. Uh, you know, oh, to, be, to be good at just human relations, you need to be generalist at all forms of communication. So when you're first getting to know somebody, when you're getting to be a little bit more vulnerable and intimate with somebody, to finally developing long-term uh, relationships or intimacy, you have to be good at, these are separate skills that where we, we take off different masks and have to get good at each one of them, and they're completely different skills. It requires different levels of confidence. So for people listening, that sounds valuable or like worthwhile, but also intimidating. Like, wow, it's hard to be good enough or pretty good at so many different facets of any pursuit, whether it's relationship building or chess or whatever. So how do you work on that? Well, I think it's an understanding that there isn't really such a question as being a generalist versus a specialist. Saying I'm going to be a good specialist is almost like saying I don't need to learn these other things. But the reality is to be good at anything, you kind of have to be a generalist, whether it's a generalist mm. in life or if you're going to be if you want to be good at one thing, you have to be generalist at all the different facets of being good at that one thing. Either way, you have to have a generalist mindset and you can't be scared of it. Let me ask you this. Do you think that some people who pursue specialization, and you know, when I say specialization, that could mean a lot of different things. Within the economy, it really does mean division of labor. It means that if I'm going to build a car, then I'm going to have a lot of different people work on different aspects of that. So that's but, what, but then you're a generalist and you're requiring other people to be specialists. How many factory workers working on the assembly line all day long are really that happy? The, the so-called specialists. Mm-hmm. So, so again, talking from their vo- point of view, they would probably rather be generalists. <laughs> and in fact, you see car, co- you know, factories that are more productive do allow more control at the level of the factory worker. 
Meaning to move from slot to slot. Or at least the ability to make decisions, to stop the assembly line, to, to kind of take more control rather than just like hitting mm, a hammer on a nail. How do you know that? I mean, what do you know about that? Um, just from books that, from, by authors we both know, like... Charles Duhigg. Yeah, the Better, about- Faster, Smarter book. Uh, I don't know. All, all these books. Um, so, but let me ask you this. Forget about like the economic definition of specialization. Think about more like the personal aspect that Satesh seems to be asking about. Do you feel that there are some people who pursue or embrace specialization, do so kind of as a cop-out? Meaning, yeah, Yes. You want to say more on that? Oh, I was just answering the question. <laughs> I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is... Because there's no such thing as specialization. If you're going to be great at golf, which seems like a specialty... You have to be good at all the generalist things. No matter, mm-hmm. it's almost like a fractal of interest. Like no matter how deep you dive, there's always going to be multiple areas you have to get good at to be good at that one thing. All right. So let me ask you this one last question. Let's say that I decide that uh, the way to go is to become a kind of specialized generalist, as you're describing. What's one thing I can start working on tomorrow to not only broaden but deepen my abilities within those specialties in service of making myself the generalist that I want to become, again, whether it's in relationship, career, and so on. What's one thing that I can work on tomorrow? Maybe it's just a a mental adjustment. Yeah, being not afraid to ask questions to as many people as possible. You have to ask questions to know what you don't know. Can't wait until tomorrow for more QOD? Hear a clip from our next show right after this. With Allstate, there's no need to pick sides. You can own your own business and you can be your own boss. This opportunity is a no-brainer. So head on over to allstateagent.com slash question of the day to get more information about opening your own agency. Here's what we have lined up for the next episode of Question of the Day. This is from Cora. What is it that nobody tells you about adult life? So what is, the question is, what is the thing that people, that you what, wish- what is that nobody tells you about adult life? So uh, assume the question's coming from like an 18-year-old and they're about to be, go out onto adulthood. What, 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 do you, what would you tell them about adult life that you wish you had known when you were 18 that nobody had told you? 